Listen for a word of God in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will, they will be heard because of those words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The Word of God. A group of children sat together in a row in the transept. Their task was to stand up and offer a tribute to the mother figures in their lives, Mother's Day. Chatting with them before worship, we asked, is this your first time up front? No, this is at least my third time. I mean, I'm up front a lot. No, said another kid, this is my second time. Another child, when I asked her, she just stared at me with big eyes. Are you that person we see up front and why are you talking to me? At the appropriate time, the kids stood and they executed like a professional troop. And then they sat down, all together. And then it was time for the sermon. There were some wiggles and whispers and hey, we all wiggle and whisper in church. And we'd do a lot more if we didn't have our phones, right? Occasionally these kids used their inside voices, fidgets, pokes, pushes, and eventually the sermon ended. That changed everything. Like the introduction, the soundtrack to Frozen 2, or the sound of an ice cream truck rolling through their neighborhood, the entire posture changed on these children. Their eyes were up in the, on the edge of their seat, prompting their pew buddies to get ready, pay attention, it's almost time, it's almost time, everybody focus. And then this happened. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This video left its imprint not only on a few parents and grandparents, but also the pastoral team. The power of a shared ritual that communicates to our youngest members. Yes, it's their little voices, and yes, it's their enthusiasm, and yes, the satisfaction that we can actually model something, and it, it takes root in their little lives. And also, what the kids did without the adults prompting. They narrowed their focus to what mattered most. Did you notice? No adults move through the seats and prompt the kids to sit up and pay attention and focus and participate and engage and get in the game, if you prefer that language. The kids already knew this was a moment that required their attention, a moment for them. On a mountainside long ago, Jesus sat with a large crowd. That sermon went on a bit longer than 22 minutes, truthfully. Long enough they needed to stretch their legs and take a break and get some snacks and we don't get those details recorded in Matthews chapter 5 through 7. Oh, open a Bible. Be reminded of the extended teaching that day. Blessed are the poor and those who mourn. Blessed are the meek and those who hunger. Blessed are the merciful and the pure in heart. Jesus said, be salt and light in the earth. Let the people know who you are. There were teachings on murder and divorce and adultery and loving one's enemies. And they're only halfway through the sermon. They haven't collected the offering when Jesus taught the prayer, our children pray. 
What the disciples can't know at the beginning of their time with Jesus and what we have the privilege of knowing because of the Bible in our hands is Jesus will go on to teach about the kingdom more than any other topic, 33 separate teachings and descriptions of the kingdom. It becomes the central teaching, the primary way of explaining what God is about. There, there's a kingdom of Rome and there's a kingdom of heaven or God. Be mindful which one is leaving a lasting imprint. The prayer Jesus taught, it's a summary of everything else taught that day on the mountainside. Now, I've thought about this for 20 years or so. If I could only have one story or one teaching or one healing moment with Jesus, if I had to choose one to summarize the Jesus I know from Scripture, what would I choose? What would you choose? I would choose this inaugural classroom lesson, the Sermon on the Mount, which includes the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew's story, there's this transcultural moment, something from their culture that moves into our culture easily. It's a bit of a proverb when Jesus says, when you pray, go to your room and shut the door and pray in secret. Remember, it's phrased like a proverb or like a metaphor even. Jesus doesn't expect people to go find a private room for prayer. Only the rich, the elite, would have access to such a room in their homes anyhow. Jesus doesn't expect whispered prayers so the secret doesn't get out. I've met people over the years who literally go inside a closet or a small place to pray based on a literal reading of this text. Okay, if that's helpful, it's not necessary. One day, I opened a small closet door in our house and I found a child tucked with a blanket and some books and a flashlight. What are you doing? I asked her. Her eyes stared back at me as if to ask, why do you ask what I'm doing? I am three and a half and I am reading, of course. We didn't know she could read. When I couldn't find our firstborn, I learned to go check the closet. This is where I would find her with a stack of books and a flashlight and a blanket. This is where she taught herself to read. It's not a literal instruction Jesus gives, find a private inner room. It's more descriptive of what might be necessary if I'd like to hear the murmurings of the kingdom of God above the murmurings of the kingdom of this world. In what ways can I quiet my life? In what may, ways could I move away from ordinary stimulation and ordinary psychological and emotional prompts, everyday life of opinion and news and information and misinformation? I will need to let go of over-identifying with what's going on in my culture, over-identification that becomes my primary identification. In order to focus on Jesus, to be honest to Jesus, to listen for the heartbeat of Jesus, to test the integrity and coherence of my life and our life with Jesus, I'll need to silence some things, to separate myself from over-identification with my culture and my world and friends. This is tough. I, I don't want you to turn off the stream and I'm going to keep talking, all right? Only you can name the ways you've over-identified with our current raging culture. I can't tell you that. The Spirit can. So let me give you one way right now that impacts me and it impacts most of us listening. It, it would not translate to the audience with Jesus that day on the hillside so long ago. But for the rest of us, did you watch it yet? The Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. If you're still subscribing to Netflix, have you watched it yet? I'm on my third time through now. A collection of former presidents and engineers and monetizers and consumer product development officers for every kind of media platform we use. If you have a smartphone in your hand, it's you. 
it's Google and YouTube and Instagram and Pinterest and Twitter and Facebook and it's all the others. It's, it's a bit of an ethical confession on how our online world is manipulated and managed and financed by third-party masterminds. We hear tech companies have three goals in this documentary. They say tech companies care about engagement and growth to keep us coming back, engagement, growth, and advertising to make as much money as possible. And the very thing that's reunited lost family members and lifelong friends and the very thing that allows us to ask for prayer from one another or to celebrate milestones is full of darkness. We hear about Stanford University's Persuasive Technology Lab. Persuasive Technology Lab. How they take what they know about my swipes and clicks and tags and posts and videos and scrolls and they use that information to modify my behavior. How they use positive intermittent reinforcements to implant unconscious habit so we're programmed at a deeper level. How engineers and developers and monetizers can tell when we're lonely or hungry or spending or saving, what makes us angry and what hits the spot. How they build a virtual model of me and you and predict our future movements. Better and better predictions about what we're going to do and who we are and the creatures they'd like us to be. How to get real world behaviors and emotions without triggering us to know that they're doing this. This is so far beyond subliminal cues on Facebook to get more people to go vote in the midterm elections. They tell us, quote, there are only two industries that call their customers users, illicit drugs and software. Friends, this is tough. This is tough. The pastor's telling me I got to put down my phones. The pastor's telling me I got to get off all of these platforms. This is tough. I can't tell you. I got to put down my phones and my scrolls and my likes and my clicks. How, how am I going to know when Taco Bell's going to discontinue the Mexican pizza? How am I going to know that the Lakers wore little RBG collars this week in support to honor a Supreme Court justice? How am I going to know when somebody needs help? How am I going to know and stay informed? I can't tell you what only the Spirit can tell you. I can only share that I'm more aware than ever of what I might need to do, the changes I might need to make. I have over-identified with what's going on in my culture, and I want my primary identification to be the Jesus culture. To be honest to Jesus is this test to the integrity and coherence of my life with my choices and actions in this world. We went from 2020 vision to 2020 apocalypse this year. Were you among the ones last week when the earthquake hit? Bring it on, 2020 can't get any worse. Well, 2021 will not be in a magic eraser that makes all things new. How can we find focus for these months ahead? We need more of Jesus. It's a real-world spiritual exercise to pray the prayer that Jesus taught. When he teaches us to pray, Jesus, he gives us a prayer for improved relationships. Jesus gives us a prayer for participation and collaboration. It's a mature prayer, friends. Over the next weeks, we'll ask, are are we praying for God's intervention or is God praying for our collaboration? Uh, The Lord's prayer is some of both. How do we focus our thoughts on the kingdom of God? How do I reflect more consciously 
on the prayer that we're praying rather than simply repeat the words we taught our children in church. I want to test the coherence of Jesus' words with my personal actions and the shared actions of our community, to test the coherence and to reconcile the dissonance. There have been clues all over the world riding in the sky. We took a vacation a couple of weeks ago. We tried, got in the car, and drove to Oregon when the fires filled the sky. The smoke over Northern California and the Oregon coast, we did not recognize our home territory. Do we need to hear more about the end times, some people ask? We need to hear more of Jesus. Jesus, who teaches us words to use when we communicate with God. How will we navigate daily challenges and sudden catastrophes? I want to know how to focus and to care in, in, in this world and what deserves my time and how to delimit the possibilities. And the Lord's Prayer is one way to make this happen. We cannot make up the headlines in the news these past weeks. We ended the first full week of school here at La Sierra University, the strangest school year in our history, governed by 14-day positivity rates that dictate our operations. There are 200,000 caskets caused by a cruel contagion in our nation as of now. There's a 27-year veteran of the Supreme Court who worked for equity and justice, wrote it into our nation's law, who's the first woman to lie in state in the nation's capital. The earth and the sky and the forest, they groan flames. There's a grand jury verdict in Kentucky finding no one accountable. There's more outrage and more guns and more death. There's Breonna Taylor from her rest testifying. And there's a runaway freight train named the presidential election. What will we become in the next 38 days? We have a choice about this. How do you get honest to Jesus? N.T. Wright tells us of this prayer we pray. Usually when we pray to God, we're in some sort of mess and we want God to get us out. So we pray to God, please sort out this or that, and then sometimes we enlarge our vision. While you're at it, sort out the Middle East and feed the hungry and house the homeless and give me an A on my test if you don't mind. But it may dawn on us one day, he says, that there's only a larger, not only a larger world out there, but a larger God out there. Not just a celestial cleaner upper, not a sorter outer of messes and wants. God is God, the living God, the heavenly parent. If we linger, we may find our priorities quietly turned inside out. The contents may remain the same. The order will change. And with that change, we move at last from paranoia to prayer, from fuss to faith. The Lord's Prayer is designed to help us make this change, a change of priority, not a change of content. The prayer doesn't pretend that pain and hunger aren't real. Some religions say that. Jesus didn't. The prayer doesn't use the greatness and majesty of God to belittle the human plight. Some religions say that. Jesus didn't. The prayer starts by addressing God intimately and bowing before God's greatness and majesty. How will we navigate these days up ahead? More more.
of Jesus. Amen.